You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. We talked a little bit last time about um, working on Conan the Barbarian, the Destroyer, and Sonya, Red Sonia. What was the atmosphere like, the difference between working on Conan the Barbarian and working on the two Richard Fleischer films? That was a big difference. John Meadish is uh, dynamic and very verbal, where Richard Fleischer was kind of quiet and more, uh, you know, much more private person where John was easier to talk to and also full of energy and stuff, where Rachel Fleischer was kind of uh, into himself, didn't talk much to people. You know, I have all the respect for Rachel Fleischer. I mean, he did the Vikings in the 50s, you know, with uh, Ernst Borgenheim and Kirk Douglas and Tony Curtis. But that was a that was the difference between them. How was the atmosphere different as far as... You shot the first one in Spain and Italy, and the second one was, what, Mexico? Yeah, the first corner was in Spain, and the second corner was in in Mexico. And where was Red Sonia? Red Sonia was in Italy. Okay. I knew Italy was in there somewhere. Yeah, that was in Italy. That was one of Bridget Nielsen's first roles, right? That was her first uh, big job, yeah. Oh. Working for uh, Dina De Laurentiis, yeah. What was that like working with her? No, she's a Dane like me, and I never met her before, but she's very uh, outgoing, outspoken, very confident in herself, and uh, knew exactly what she wanted. Uh, She acted very professional, uh, you know, was always on time and always prepared, but at the same time, a lot of fun. She made everybody laugh, including me and Arnold. And we became like, uh, you know, Boy Scouts or Boy uh, Scout Girls or something. You know, we had fun. We really had a lot of fun. The cast of Conan the Destroyer, it's such a weird mix with Wilt Chamberlain and Grace Jones. Yeah, Grace Jones. Grace Jones is an old friend. She's very professional. She did a big job. Wilt Chamberlain, he was a little hard to work with in a sense. You know, he had his own opinion, and unfortunately, when the movie was supposed to be uh, finished, he didn't do his own voice to pick somebody else because he didn't want to do that. So the the voice you hear in uh, the second corner is not Will's voice, that's somebody else. Do you know know why they chose to dub uh, Jerry Lopez's voice in the first movie? Yeah, he's a close friend of... uh, He's a close friend of John. John was a... well, uh, you know, well-known surfer, and uh, he hanged with the Jaldos in those days. So he was the choice for that part, based on John's friendship with Jerry. I wanted to jump ahead a little bit, and I wanted to ask you about The Running Man, if I could. Sure, go ahead. What was it like working with Richard Dawson? That was a pleasure. He was very uh, on his job, and the job he had was not different from the job he used to have, you know, on television, very professional, always on, 
uh, talking a lot, very active, fun to be around, to see him now uh, acting out was fantastic. And uh, we had a great relationship uh, because of my uh, part I played. He's a great guy, and that was a lot of fun to work with him. I love that you, uh, you're you menacing in that, but you have so many good comedic turns in that film. <laughs> Thank you very much. No, it becomes that. I mean, it becomes natural, you know, in my relationship with Arnold. He's kind of, a, I'm the big brother because I'm a little older. So uh, Arnold listens a lot to me, uh, you know, training-wise. And also I taught him some martial art and stuff. And uh, I'm a practical joker. And uh, he tried to be a practical joker, but we had a lot of fun. He's he's great to work with. He's the best. When people uh, on the set of any movie he works in have a birthday, he's the one that uh, gives a speech for the guy that's maybe a makeup person or a special effects guy. And that's a birthday cake and birthday gift. That's why I, people like to work with Arnold, because he is really a team player. He makes everybody feeling feeling good, you know, he have a comment for everybody, he talks to everybody, he doesn't hide in his trailer, he's very open to talk to people. That's why he uh, still does movies, because people like to work with him. Very often in movies, if a star have a bad reputation, the crew doesn't want to work with him, so uh, the stardom uh, fades very fast. I've seen that with many actors, action actors, that doesn't understand that uh, it's a teamwork to do a movie. Everybody's important. T-E-A-M, team. You worked with uh, Jesse Ventura on The Predator and Running Man, and then most famously in Abraxas. What was it like to work with him? Yeah, uh, Jesse is fantastic, Um, uh, but also uh, peculiar in a certain sense. I remember um, I walked by his uh, trailer one day on Abraxas, and he was standing in front of the mirror with his long coat, and he was talking to himself like, I'm Jesse, I'm Jesse Bond. (laughs) (laughs) He's a fun guy. I remember we had a scene where we all got wet. We had to run through some streams, and after every take, he insisted on getting on dry socks. And that drove Damien D, the director, up the wall. He said, I don't understand what's wrong with Jesse. He insisted (laughs) having... uh, dry socks on between every takes and it, it kills me, it kills the movie, it kills the budget, you don't have time for that. But uh, he's, a, he's a fun kid. You really played such a great villain in Abraxas. What was that movie like to shoot? First of all, uh, Damien's company, Rose and Ruby in those days, had a, a certain reputation. that They called them Rob and Ron. That's not a good reputation to have in the movie business. So when you want to hire me for that job, which was supposed to be shot in Canada. I had all my money being put in my bank account before I went to Canada to be sure that there was no problem with getting my money and telling him that uh, I want the flat rate put in my bank account and then he used me 24-7. And he sure did. I worked 16 hours a day in freezing snowstorm. I mean, it was so cold. I couldn't believe it. Even, uh, you know, when you serve water for yourself and your glass in your camper, the water froze to ice. It was so cold. So he, he got he got full value for his investment in me. I worked 16 hours a day. Oh. Where did you shoot that at? 
That was in Thornbury, north of Toronto, by the lake, the big lake. Oh, wow. Yeah, that must have been freezing. Oh, it was cold. But I had the pleasure of uh, dating Grace Jones in those days. So she was visiting me quite often, and she had a lot of furs. So I was always wearing one of her furs between takes. And she was nursing me, coming home with milk and honey and fireplace. And I was cold for four weeks. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of of snow and being cold, (laughs) that scene of uh, you and Arnold fighting in red heat in the snow, and you're practically naked, what the heck was that like? First of all, uh, uh, the sauna scene, was shot in uh, Hungary. And then when we fall out the window, because there's no snow in Hungary, we had to go to Slatny in Austria, where I don't know the mayor of uh, that town. So that whole outdoor scene in the snow was shot in uh, in Austria, in Slatny. And Benny, uh, Benny Dobbins, the stunt coordinator, he was actually out there in the snow prepping for us, not to freeze too much, putting uh, plywood under the snow we could walk on and stuff. And he actually died based on that. He got a he got a stroke, and then the movie was shut down for one day. Everybody cried. Me and Allah was walking, and I was crying. Allah was crying. Um, so when you see the movie, it's dedicated to Benny Dobbins. He's a very famous stunt coordinator. Uh, but at the same time, we had fun in Austria because we had time to do a lot of skiing. Uh, and uh, was celebrated by the mayor, uh, you know, with a free gift skiing outfit and skis and stuff. Uh, yeah, but then it obviously died there, unfortunately. Mm, that's terrible. Yeah, I guess that's a part of life. Yesterday, a young man, a young boy, today a man, tomorrow, a corpse in a coffin, in a graveside forgotten. That's our life. Yeah. We better enjoy the moment. Yesterday's history, today's a gift, and tomorrow's a mystery. You know, we all gonna die one day, even though we don't think we are. So that sometimes, uh, when that happens, it's a reality check. You know, to really appreciate um, that you're alive. What was it like working with John McTernan on the last action hero? John McTernan, I worked with John uh, three times. The first time was Predator. And then um, later on, I got a, call call, a phone call from John. I was on my way to Mexico to work with Arnold and Total Recall. And John said, you know, I want you to be the chief of the boat on uh, the Hunt for Red October, working with Sean Connery. And I said, John, I can't. I have to go to Mexico work with Arnold. He said, I'm sure you guys can work it out. You could do two movies. So I said to, I said to Arnold, do you mind? I work on that movie in town in LA and... So yes, of course. So I actually worked on two jobs, and I flew back between Mexico City and Los Angeles eight times to do both jobs. And John is funny. He is very dry, and when we had practical jokes going on, he always came three, four days later. Oh, by the way, that was funny. You know, he's that kind of a guy. Very technical. Some of the shots in his movies... In Predator, there's some camera shots there you haven't seen anywhere else. Remember a scene where there's some blood dripping down from a tree, and the camera falls on, ends up seeing this corpse hanging there in the tree, 
And I saw another shot of the Hunt right October, where you're on a crane, put the camera inside the uh, submarine. F- fantastic uh, movie maker, John, really is. Also, I remember from the Hunt right October, working with John, that uh, we were about 30 Russians there uh, on the set, extras and, and actors. And one day we got a memo saying, tomorrow all the big brass from the Navy is coming here, so please behave, don't spit, don't curse, don't fart, don't smoke. So uh, that challenged me. So I went to the water department, got a big broom and a big Viking helmet. And the next day, when all the big brasses was up there on the submarine, Sean Connery, John McTurn, and all the big uh, Navy guys, admirals, and all kind of stuff, I burst into the room and said, excuse me, gentlemen, I'm asked to keep this place clean. And I stopped pulling the floor. <laughs> and then, then I left. And I said, to him, oh, Lord, why did you do that? Now you're going to get fired because nobody laughed. They was like, what, what's going on? <laughs> so half an hour later, I was called up on the submarine. And they were all up there laughing and laughing. And I hanged with those guys for all day long. I mean... We had so much fun, and from that day on, Sean Connery, you know, he always wanted to call me to his trailer and talk and bits about, you know, this is the movie. And actually, when I met uh, Sean Connery the first time, I walked up and said, you know, Mr. Connery, my name is Sven, I'm from Denmark, I'm going to play Chief of the Boat in your submarine, and I just want to tell you, you and I have two things in common. In common. I said, what is that, Sven? I said, yeah, we know the same woman and we like the same sport. And he said, who's the woman? I said, that's Grace Jones. Oh, Gracie. They knew each other. And what's the other thing? He said, yeah, I know you competed in the 1950s for Mr. Universe. You placed third. That actually started your career as an actor. He said, yes, yes. So, uh, yeah, I mean, John, to work with John uh, was fantastic because he's really a movie maker. And you know how to use the camera, I think. Oh, yeah, definitely. That is, Hunt for Red October is definitely one of my favorite films. It's a, it's, a, it's a manly movie because there's no women in it, actually, um, which is seldom. Um, so that alone made it a different kind of, a bit different kind of movie. Yeah, and just so many great actors and just so many wonderful scenes, you know, I mean. Yeah, yeah, then, then also, yeah, I love those guys. I remember Curly there, he was one of the officers, and uh, one day uh, we, we made some fun on top of the submarine, and he put little mustache on, <laughs> he looked like Hitler. <laughs> I mean, it was amazing. Now, he's a, I, I didn't know much about him, but working with him, I did some research and figured out, you know, he's he's really an actor. He was very much fun to work with. Sam Neill, oh, come on. That's a great, great, great actor. Oh, yeah. Great cat. James O. Jones, I worked with James O. Jones on the hunt on the Conan the Barbarian. And now I worked with him again on the hunt for Red October. Um, yeah, great cast. Yeah, so, so, so many great actors and such great dialogue. Just uh, the, some of the exchanges between Sean Connery and Alec Baldwin, just amazing. Yeah, Alec Baldwin, come on, big cast. Uh, you know, you've talked about being a practical joker and, and just even your uh, Viking uh, floor sweeper example. What are some of your favorite jokes that you've pulled? Oh, I mean, that's, uh, 
Although, uh, yeah, I mean, one joke was when we did Conan the Barbarian, uh, Anna had a, an Austrian driver, and every morning when we went to work, I was in the car with Arnold and Eric, a Danish friend of mine, a Danish actor, who actually in Conan the Barbarian are playing 17 different parts. Oh, wow. Yeah, Eric. Anyhow, so this driver, he, to please Arnold, he played Austrian music, umpa, 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 every morning. And every night, it, it drove me and Eric crazy. Even though Anna, he liked it, I didn't like that music. So uh, Anna had this uh, thing that he took a lot of pictures. And then he gave uh, the driver his roles so he could develop the pictures. And then Anna looked through every picture to be sure that, you know, the pictures were good. So um, one day, Anna in the car says to the driver, where's the pictures from last week? And the driver said, yeah, we have a problem, uh, Senor Arnold. I said, what is that? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, the, the, the guy who developed the pictures, he was talking about calling the police because there were some obscene pictures on, on the road. I said, what is that? And then I saw the pictures, and then I had me right taking Arnold's camera and asked Eric to come outside and put his pants down. <laughs> and I took 36 pictures of his bare butt. <laughs> and then, unfortunately, on one of the pictures, you could see Eric's belt buckle. So I, of course, realized it was me behind it. I said, Sven, you did it again. I'm going to get you. You're not going to get me. I said, I'm too smart for you. Another, <laughs> another situation was in Conan the Barbarian. We had, uh, there were 30 stuntmen, 10 from Spain, 10 from America, and 10 from Denmark where John had asked me earlier to bring down 10 monsters from Denmark, which I did before that, I made a photo station to send down to John. And when we arrived there, we were called the animals. So there was not a competition between the American stuntmen, the Spanish stuntmen, and the Danish stuntmen. So now Arnold says now to, he hang with the Danish stunt guys, because he's European from Austria. You know, guys, next week there's a guy coming down from Penthouse who wanted to do a special article on me. Could you please, for that week, behave and not be so rowdy? Said, of course. So now for a whole week, we were hanging with this guy, going out at night, chasing uh, wine and food and women. And he became one of the buddies. And he was actually a nice guy. So now I say, you know, he's... So Arnold, so the guy's leaving tomorrow. Could we have a little fun with him before he leaves? I said, of course. So then we had a party in, in Arnold's, uh, uh, in Arnold's uh, you know, hotel room, which was in three levels. It was in El Marima. It was overlooking the golf course. It was a golf hotel. So there was not too many people there, only golfers. And particularly Japanese golfers. So now during the party, we tried to get this guy drunk. So he drinks like a skunk. He doesn't get drunk. Who gets drunk? Arnold gets drunk. So now I had to guide him up to his bedroom, passing the bathroom where he pukes. I put him to bed. I undies in his boots and his belt and have a bucket beside his bed and some water as well. And go back to the party. And the guy say, how's Arnold? He's okay. He's okay. Then this guy, this uh, journalist says, should we make some fun with Arnold? Now he's like, Defenseless. So that's a good idea. So we go to his room, and now we try to carry the bed out of the room with Arnold on it. We want to bring it down to the lobby. 
<laughs> but then, of course, Arnold falls out of the bed three times, never wakes up. And then some smart ass says, what about taking the bed down there first? And then Arnold, that ended up that we cleaned the whole room in the lobby, four o'clock in the morning. We made his room there with the lamps, with the bed, with the, the whatever, the, the, the carpet, whatever was in the room, the plants or whatever. In the middle of the lobby, this big hotel, now Arnold was sleeping there, um, you know, and we were hiding there in the lobby. And then the first uh, golfers uh, start coming out, you know, they are five o'clock in the morning. They're all passing by this. And because it's in Spain, there also was some kind of a happening, some art uh, stuff. And uh, we had a lot of fun. Then, of course, Arnold woke up, stretching himself and farting and, and realized that he was in the lobby in his bed and everyone was watching. So he was screaming, Sven! Sven! He knew I was behind him. <laughs> because, you know, it's a bunch of boys being in Spain, 30 guys on horseback every day fighting each other uh, out there chasing at night and stuff. You know, so there's a lot of... Uh, None of that kind of stuff. I also remember the competition amongst us because the guys from Denmark, we were not really stuntmen in a sense. We were just, you know, weightlifters, uh, you know, track and field athletes, powerlifters, bodybuilders. So there was a lot of competition. And one day in Segovia, we were waiting for snow. So before lunch, everybody was practicing with their swords and their spears and axes, and then there was an old oak tree, you know, where everyone was trying to aim their weapons and throwing their knives and whatever. So after lunch, and in Spain, they serve wine for lunch, red wine and white wine. There's three meals. Waiters are in white coats with gloves on. There's a printed menu. After lunch, there is uh, fruit and cheese. So lunch was always three, four hours. And in the afternoon, we all tipsy because of the wine. So uh, after lunch, I had watching them the whole morning, trying to uh, use their weapons, like, you know, throwing their stuff against that tree. My big mouth said, listen, guys, let me now show you how a Viking are using his axe. So all along, while I've been watching them, I kind of measured in my mind the distance, and I have this two-handed axe, so I took this two-handed axe, and now, like in a movie, in slow motion, I threw the axe, and I went through the air, you know, turning five, six times, and ended up with the blade stuck to the tree, so the ground was shaking. I was shocked myself. I could do it. And they were all like, what? Do that again, Sven? I said, shit, that's it, one time. I was so lucky. But from that day on, the whole atmosphere amongst the stunt guys changed, because we were kind of the outsiders that came in, but now there was respect. There was another scene where we were all on horseback on the hillside, in snow, the horses sliding, they can't stand still. My poor horse uh, was always uh, looking at me in the morning before I jumped on the horse, like, don't do that, because I was heavy. I was 340 pounds, and my outfit was 100 pounds, so the poor horse was scared shitless of me, being on his back. So my horse, of course, couldn't stand still and keep pushing the Spanish 
some of the Spanish longmen's horses, and one of them got so upset. So he swung his uh, sword to hit me, and I, of course, blocked it as a martial art guy, and I punched him in his face, ending up with uh, 30 horses, was now falling down the uh, hillside and uh, with big chaos, you know. So there was a lot of stuff like that. But it, it became respect by, by uh, for example, they had hired a Spanish stuntman to uh, a piano stunt double. But one of my friends, Hans-Johan Jacobsen, who was a uh, uh, European chairman in boxing, he was a weightlifter, he was a rower, martial art guy. He, uh, he, uh, he got the job as a stunt double instead of the, stunt, uh, the Spanish guy. There's a scene where we are catching... Uh, Arnold and be thrown at the fountain and to the doom is supposed to give a speech about the strength of the word against the sword. So that whole scene, we had the uh, Spanish uh, stunt double and me and Eric really molested him, so he gave up and now Hans could step in and from that day on he became Arnold's stunt double and they fired the other guy. He was, he was kind of wimpy, he didn't go for it, you know what I mean? I read that uh, Andre the Giant was in Conan the Destroyer. Is that true? He became uh, a friend of, of, of us, of the set. He came on the set very often. And uh, I remember when uh, he was supposed to arrive in the hotel and Arnold sent his driver in his limo to pick up Andre the Giant in the airport. But he couldn't fit in the fucking limo. <laughs> no, I'm really, they had to bring a truck. So now at night, when we went out, you know, all the big guys, uh, Chamberlain, uh, Andre the Giant, I mean, uh, people were like in awe. But then we all got close to uh, Andre, and he normally drank during the day or during at night seven, eight bottles of wine, and he was very shy. He stuttered a lot, but after alcohol, he could talk, and he was talking about, you know, how sad it was to be what he was because everybody talked to him about his size, never talked to him about some private stuff, but we became a family, so he really felt confident in our, you know, to being with us because we were listening to him and you know you know how it is. Yeah. He was really a, a gentle giant. It seems like he probably would have been fun to be around. Yeah, he had a lot of stories to tell. But what a big guy. I have a picture where even though I was 340 pounds, he holds me in his arms like I'm a baby. I'm laying there like a little baby, looking like a, a mini-poot person compared to his enormous size. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, you talked a little bit about John McTiernan earlier. I was curious, uh, what was it like uh, being on The 13th Warrior? I really like that film as well. No, that what happened there was that John had told me earlier that he was doing a Viking pizza and he would, would call me. Would call me. I never got the call. So one day I'm out shopping in the pet food store for my doggies, and who's in? Who's there? John with his uh, with his kids and his wife and the nanny. So of course I attack him. Say, hey John, what? I mean, I was, I was supposed to be in your movie. What happened? I say, oh shit. Why don't you come to my office tomorrow and just talk about it? So I was hired, but there was no really part for me. I was just hired based on him being friendly 
and keep his promise. So I got a minor job as a king up there. I was on the screen maybe 10 minutes, I can recall. But um, that was in Vancouver, Canada. And as usual, John is great to work for, but he had fights on a daily basis with Michael Crichton, who wrote the book, uh, Eaters of the Dead was the book called, and that became The Thirteen Warrior. And it was a little book, actually, one of his first books. But he was also a producer. So the final cut of the picture was uh, Michael Crichton's choice based on his contract. So based on their fighting every day, they were almost like enemies. The final cut of the movie actually destroyed the movie based on Michael Crichton want to have revenge over John. John is very, very uh, uh, demanding. I remember when we did Predator, Joel Silver, the producer, who used to hire actors that was not so powerful, so he could kind of direct them as a producer so he get the movie he likes to get, not the director's choice. So after four days on the set watching John return and working, John stopped the job and he said to Joel, Joel, get the fuck off my set and <laughs> ever come back. So John is John. Yeah, I've I've heard that there's uh, the John McTiernan cut of the Thirteenth Warrior, Eaters of the Dead. I have been looking for that forever because I'd love to see what the differences are. Because I I still like the Thirteenth Warrior, but if there's a better version out there, I would love to see it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, John's movie would have been better, but it was not John's final decision. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on uh, behind the scenes, behind the camera where people are fighting for position and, and all that stuff, which is very often sad for the product, for the art. But now it doesn't become art anymore, it becomes a business. So very often that happens to movies where people are fighting. But working with, um, working with Omar Sharif uh, was fantastic. And later on I did a picture called Hidalgo with Viggo Mortensen. What had a, a, a chance to talk to Uma Sharif a little bit. And I said to him, you're sitting in the chair waiting. I said, wait a minute, you're so handsome. I'm sure women are still chasing you. He said, Sven, I don't need to work, but I'm broke because I'm a gambler. I played bridge. I lost all my money. That's why I'm here. And Sven, and then he said, Sven, you're right. They still come knocking on my door, women. I, I, I want to say he used to actually write like a bridge column for a newspaper, like the New York Times or something. He was really into it. I, he was so into bridge. I think no, he used no, to write he was a, no, he was a gambler. Oh, wow. Uh, big time gambler, lost all his money. What, uh, can you tell me, what was it like working on Hard Target? Uh, Hard Target was, uh, what's his name? Uh, the Chinese director. John Wu. Yeah. You know, he didn't really speak much English, so Billy Burton, the stunt coordinator, he was actually the guy who did the movie because uh, he had to communicate what John wanted based on sign language and half English and stuff. So uh, that was quite an experience. And then I remember Wilfred, who played that choppy guy who was Jean-Claude Van Damme's friend in the movie. Right. I forgot his name. Uh, Wilfred well, he, Brimley. Yeah, he was the guy who became famous for oatmeal commercials, I think. Mm-hmm. And he smoked cigars. So one day we were sitting there smoking a cigar, 
He said, I want to tell you a story about cigars. I said, okay, go ahead. He said, um, Roger Kipling, the author of the Jungle Book, he was an officer in the, in, in the English army in India, and he gave a speech to his uh, soldiers, I think he was a colonel, about tobacco, tobacco during war. He's a soldier's best friend. And then in the end of the uh, speech, he, he gave them a quote, Remember, soldiers, a woman is just a woman, but a cigar is a good smoke. <laughs> <laughs> talk, about, talk about cigars. When John Milius was directing The Win and the Lion, he, uh, as a senator, uh, John Houston is playing a senator in the movie, if you have seen the movie. Mm-hmm. With Sean Connery, Candace Bergen. Uh, and John was also a director, John Houston, you know, and an actor as well. So John, who was a young director, was nervous to the next day direct John Houston. So he goes to his room at night, the night before they were supposed to shoot John, John Houston. And John is now laying on his knees, sorting out Cuban cigars on his bed. And John now to start a conversation, say, you know, Mr. Houston, you know, I never smoked a cigar, but I would like to. So which cigar should I smoke? And then John Houston said, young man, come over here and sit down. I want to tell you a story. I was a young man. I was in Paris. I was in my room. I was watching television of a horse race. I put all my money on, and uh, I had a girl between my legs. And when my horse won me a lot of money, I came in the girl's mouth, and I took a puff of a Monte Cristo number two. So, young man, I think you should smoke Monte Cristo number two. So every time, every time John got a little tipsy in Spain, we had him tell that story because John is the best storyteller in the world. Oh, that is great. That's a beautiful <laughs> story, yeah. <laughs> is that what you still smoke today? John, unfortunately, a couple of years ago, got a stroke, so he had a hard time to talk now. I was supposed to be in his movie, Jinky's Can. I still have the screenplay here, but he can't really uh, articulate himself, so he had a hard time. He survived, but he can't really talk, which is sad. That's got to be so tough for him because he's such a raconteur. He's such an entertainer. It's such a pleasure to be around John. I remember in Spain, we were sitting in this trailer, me, Arnold, and John, and John is building model air, you know, model airplanes and playing with them like a little kid. And then the same new director comes and says, hey, Mr. Milius, we're ready to shoot. And John turns around and says, so shoot the shit. I'm I'm busy. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, re-watching The Quick and the Dead the other day, uh-huh. and I, I was so glad to see you show up, but I was so sad that you are pretty much the first to go. Yeah, but, you know, it's a job. Yeah. Actually, when I was uh, called in for an interview for the job, it was based on uh, Sharon Stone and Sam Raimi. Uh, Sharon Stone was one of the producers also, so she knew me from before, uh, from uh, Total Recall. Where, where Paul Verhoeven and Arnold was on her case because she was out of shape. And they asked me to get her in, sh- get her in shape, teaching her some martial art and losing some weight. So very often she cried at my shoulder because everybody was after her. 
calling her fat. So when I walked into the uh, interview, it was just Sam Raimi and Sharon Stone sitting in the room. And as soon as I stepped in, the post to up. I said, of course, it's your job. <laughs> and, then, and then Sam Raimi said, yeah. And also, you're the songs man in the world, aren't you? Say yeah. So I got my job like that. So now, now I came to uh, Arizona, and uh, they put this big beard on me, hair by hair. It took three hours for, to put that beard on. There was a, it was terrible. I see one of the uh, Gene Hackman's henchmen uh, in long coats, you know, with a Western hat on. He has such a face. I woke up to him and said, I don't know who you are. I said, but if you don't make a million dollars until that face, there's something wrong with you. That was actually Sharon Stone's brother, and he was not hired by Sharon. He made his own way out there. I was now hired as an extra. So now, uh, one day, Gene Hackman says to Michael, you tomorrow we're going to do this scene, such and such, or what you to say, such and such, and do such and such. And Michael said, I can't do that because I'm an expert. He said, what? I'm Sharon, your sister? Yeah, but I paid my own way. And he said, uh, then uh, Gene Hammond turned around and said, hey, Sam, come over here. Tomorrow, uh, Michael going to do such and such, say such and such. Please make him a SAG member and operate him to an actor. Wow. That was Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman is a man. The first day I was there, he came to my trailer and said, I want to introduce myself. My name is Gene Hackman. I hear you're the world's strongest man. I'm a powerlifter myself. So he was a man. And then also, every time there were scenes where he was not needed, he was behind the camera with the script, helping all, all the actors. He was also a guy who sometimes came with a black eye because he has been in a fist fight in a local bar in Arizona somewhere. He's a real man. And what he did for Michael, that's unheard of. This just shows good character. That's another film where just so many tremendous actors in there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but it, uh, DiCaprio, Kurt Russell, Lance Henriksen, you name it. Yeah, Lance with that mustache and uh, yeah, the outfits. Then, uh, <laughs> yeah, but all these tricks you could do with the cards and the, and, and the, and the gun. And, I mean, he really prepped himself for that part. Lance, he's a great, great, great actor. Yeah, you've worked so much with Arnold, but then looking at your resume, you've worked with, you know, some of the other heavyweights when it comes to action films like Van Damme and Seagal. What what are those guys like to work with? Yeah, Steve Seagal, he's a he's a cup of tea. He's something <laughs> else. I um, I uh, I was in the uh, I was in New York with Grace Jones. We were waiting to take the MGM Grand Air back to Los Angeles. In the airport, she now sees Steven Seagal and Kelly LeBrock and um, uh, uh, Mike Ovitz, who was in those days uh, one of the top guys in town. And he was the guy who invented Steven Seagal. So now she drags me over there to meet them and say hi. So when Steven shakes my hand, he puts my hands back. And they kind of hurts. And I say to Steve, you know, that hurts. I never met him before. He's just trying to, you know, be a tough guy. So when he continued, I pulled him to me and I was, with my foot, I threw his legs away. So he fell on his ass right there in the airport. And, um, of course, Grace was pissed at me because I did that. So now in the airplane, 
I can see where they're sitting. There's mirrors there, the kind of booths you're sitting in. So I take two silver forks and twist them together and make a little bouquet of steel flowers. And I walk over there to say to Stephen, can I give your wife some flowers? And I say, of course. And then I give her the flowers, I walk away. But then see in the mirror, he take them out of her hands and try to try to undo the forks, but he can't, of course. <laughs> so now a week, a week later, I'm sitting here at home, and there was no work. So I take my car, drive to Warner Brothers. I can't get in because you need a pass to get in. I park my car outside one of the walls. I jump on top of my Jeep, and I jump the wall. And then I hit all the offices. And one office is Steven Chagall's office. And uh, I walk in there. There's a lady in there, Marin Doherty, one of the big casting people here in town. I say, can I help you? She say, yeah, I hear that Steven is doing a movie called On Deadly Ground with Michael, with, uh, what's his name? Um, oh, was it Michael Caine in there? Yeah, Michael Caine. Michael Caine. And there was a part in there called Otto. This is kind of Michael Caine's, you know, uh, tough guy or whatever. And she said, you can't come here. You have to, your agent has to send you. She said, I don't have an agent. I met Steven last week and said, so I'm sure that I can work in the movie. It's perfect for me. Yeah, but you can't do that. So she kind of leaves, and Steven comes out and says, hey, Sven, what are you doing here? She said, I'm looking for a job. But I think I pissed off your casting director because she doesn't like me. So I don't know. I mean, I said, I'm the one to make those decisions. She said, I'm the producer. I'm the director. And I'm also the star in the movie, so I make those decisions. So I said, so when do I work? He said, you have any material? I said, yeah. He said, I didn't know you were an actor. No, I'm not an actor. I'm a stunner. I can say, out the proper way. And then some people call me an actor. So give me your stuff. Let's see. Monday morning, I get a phone call. And I was working in Alaska Valdez for three months with Michael Caine. So now I'm supposed to have a big fight in the movie with uh, Steven Seagal. Where early in the movie, I had more just an old man with a piece of uh, uh, ivory. Uh, so now in the fight, he's supposed to use that as some kind of a redemption from the old guy. So he calls me on the set one day and uh, says to me, in front of all my stunt colleagues uh, during the break, okay, so when, uh, we have a fight coming up in a couple of days, and I hear you're a martial art guy also, so please kick me. Uh, I don't want to kick you. Come on. No, no, kick me. I want to see your skills. But then I knew that we had there was some kind of a payback situation, right? Uh-huh. So I, only, I only kick half ass. And of course, he grabs my foot and drags me on my ass. Everyone is laughing. I'm embarrassed. He says, stay here. I come back. He walks in to finish some scenes. And I'm so embarrassed. All my colleagues are laughing. So he comes out again an hour later and say, okay, Sven, this time kick me. And I did. <laughs> and he went down full blast, peeing his pants. He was out. I, I hit him right in the uh, solar plexus in the front, front kick. Say, oh, no. What, why did I do that? <laughs> so now during the fight, which went well, he with purpose are using that piece hitting on my neck without just uh, pretending, but full blast, so I, I'm out. I go down, I'm out. Five, six seconds, I come up again and try to finish the fight, but we have rehearsed. So now, we are moving from Valdez, Alaska, to uh, Seattle, Washington. So there's a whole week 
I'm alone out there in Washington, you know, having a little vacation, but, uh, inviting my girlfriend, and we're exploring this, you know, bear watching and river rafting and stuff. So now the day before I'm supposed to work, I go on the set to be prepped for the next day, where there's some horseback riding and stuff. So one of the producers sees me and says, hey, Sven, what are you doing here? I say, I'm working tomorrow. No, you're not. Because at the, in the dailies, you're actually dead based on the way he hit you. So he got his uh, revenge in the end. So I was cut off of uh, one more month of work. He uh, is a strange dude. I remember there's a scene uh, where Michael Caine says to me, can you believe, what do you think about my hair color? I said, it looks fine. Can you believe, Stephen, he changed my hair color seven times before he was happy? Wow. In, so so now there's a scene, and uh, see the guy say, okay, next. Then the uh, DP, the director of photography, says, uh, Mr. Sikal, I think we need a shot for more here. Listen, I said next. I'm the director. I'm the producer. I'm the main actor. Next. Meaning that 250 crew members are now seeing how he treats one of his departments and all those 250 people, they talk. So when Steven Scott's name is brought up in the future, the chance for him to do movies are zero. And sure enough, after that movie, which was a great movie, I think, on Dirty Ground, his career kind of uh, went the other way. Right, right. Yeah, you know, one of the movies that I love you the most in is Mallrats, which is always a surprise when you show up in there. When you showed up the first time I watched it, it was like, what is Sven doing in here? It just seems so unlikely, but you uh, are just terrific in that. And so uh, on Hot Target, we shot in New Orleans. One of the producers, uh, James was one of the producers, and he fell in love with me and bought a pizza act in a stone colleague I have. So we hanged every night out dancing and eating food and listening to music. It's a great fucking place, New Orleans. It's a beautiful place. And he talks about this movie he want to do uh, uh, with, uh, what's his name? Kevin Smith, the director. And he promised me and Bob a job. So now, uh, six months later, I hear about the job is going on in Minnesota. Bobby Peter's up there as a stunt coordinator. So I called Sam, uh, I called James. I said, hey, what happened? I think you promised me and Bob a job. And of course, I'm sorry, but come to Minnesota, we're going to figure it out. So I came to Minnesota, and uh, the job uh, I played in that movie actually was uh, Bobby Peter's job. That was one of his deals. I'm a stunt coordinator, and I'll do that job. So he had to give that job to me. So only by me... Being on his case, I ended up having that job in the big mall of Minnesota. And also up there, was so cold. I mean, we had to fight uh, with the polar bears. It was so cold. <laughs> Unbelievable cold. But that's the way I got that job. Which was worse, Abraxas or Mallrats as far as being cold? I think uh, Abraxas because I was more outdoors. In a, in more ways, we all indoors more on this. So, yeah, you were you were very uh, it just uh, a very pleasant surprise in that film. It was really nice to see you in that. Yeah, it's funny because I just really recently did in uh, the Hollywood show here in Los Angeles 
whether it's 96 actors to sign pictures for fans and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was surprised about the uh, fan follows that is on Morad. Morad was just a job for me, so I was uh, blown away about the interest for that particular movie. It's, be- it's become a cult movie. So I got more uh, recognized. Uh, we, I'm more recognized by that movie than anything else. More red. It's amazing. It's amazing. What are you working on these days? You know, I'm trying to uh, get into that corner stuff, uh, which is a tough road. But uh, I have some uh, jobs coming up here. I'm still active. I got recently married again uh, with a young wife, and she's a uh, you know, write a film producer and casting director. So there's some jobs coming that way. Because I actually retired when I was 55. I came over to the United States when I was 40, based on I was uh, done in Denmark. I had done so much stuff there. I created three sports federations, the Danish Powerlifting Federation, the Danish Bodybuilding Federation, and the Danish Martial Arts Federation. And I became champion in all three of them. I was married to a famous singer. So on my 40th birthday, we wanted to move to a place where the sun was shining and we would have privacy because at home we were kind of public figures and there was no privacy. So uh, I told that story before. So when I came here, the only person, person I knew here, not that I want to be in the movie business, that was just based on reaching out to the only person I knew in town, which was Arnold. And he was shooting Commando in Gridley Park for George Silver. And he said, come and visit. So I went up there. And five minutes after I'd been there, the George Silver, the producer, I was 340 pounds though, came to me and said, hey, I want you in my movie. I want to give you $20,000. Just run around with a gun and stuff. Can you do that? I said, sure. Then he said, yeah, then you have to be a member of Screen Actors Guild. They need a social security number. So I went through Screen Actors Guild. I could prove that I had done three American pictures in Spain, in uh, Mexico and Italy, the Conan pictures. And then they needed a social security number, so I gave them my Danish social security number. And now I was a member of SAG, and I was working in the movie business. That was not the point of coming here. It was based on being in the nice weather and being on the beach, just relaxed, not working, just so... um, and now if I start working like that, a lot of other people heard about me and stuff, and then job came my way. So when I wrote my uh, little book here a few years ago called uh, Strong Man in Hollywood, or Viking in Hollywood, I realized I've done 130 pictures in uh, 20 years. Wow. Amazing. And I never felt I worked. It was all, it's all, until today, 30 years later, coming here, I never felt I, wor- I felt I work. It's been one big vacation. Oh, that's terrific. So I'm in that direction, very fortunate. I always did, early on in my life, stuff I did by myself. I was not hired by anybody. So I'm very fortunate. Yeah, it sounds like you're doing what you want to do and doing what you love. I'm being very fortunate there, very fortunate. That's wonderful. I really appreciate your time, though. This has been wonderful talking to you again. Anytime, boss. I have stories to tell, so come back anytime you like. 